0: Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a new podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we'll be covering the first library staff of the Albright Memorial Library, and after this we'll be discussing the establishment of the Nancy K. Holmes Branch Library. My name is Alyssa, and I work in the reference department of the Scranton Public Library. I received my master's degree from Simmons University in Archives Management, which is a branch of the library and information science field.
1: Today our guest is Jess. Hey everyone, I am the Director of Community Engagement here at the Scranton Public Library. I'm very pleased to be here again. Thank you.
0: Okay, so we'll get started with the First Library staff. How much do you know about Henry Carr? Henry Carr, I know he was the
1: first Library Director, and I know his wife worked here as well. Um, That's about
0: it for him. Okay, so Henry Carr was born in New Hampshire and he began working in libraries when he was living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and that's where he kind of got his start. From here, he became the head librarian of the St. Joseph Public Library and the treasurer of the American Library Association. When the Scranton Public Library was being constructed, he was hired in July of 1891. He would remain on the library staff through his death on May 21st of 1929. And along with his wife, Edith, he would become a major figure in the library world. And I plan on covering them at a later time because there's just so much to the both of them. Oh, okay. Yes. Edith was very involved in libraries as well. Um, I believe she's considered the grandmother of the American Library Association. Oh, really? Well, that's very cool. She had major roles, I believe, in Illinois is where a lot of her library work took place. Very cool. Other notable library workers during the initial years of the Auburn Memorial Library were Emma Thompson and Cora Decker. Emma Thompson was in charge of the Reading Room and Reference Department during the first years, and it was stated that she was always willing and painstaking up until the very limit of her strength and possessed a happy nature which did much to endear her to all her associates during her career. She was the first librarian that passed away that had been employed here, and that was on March 16th, 1898, from an illness. Oh, ouch. Yeah, it wasn't great. Mm. And then Cora Decker was the first assistant librarian, so she was Henry Carr's assistant. Okay. And she worked at the library for 53 years. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's a very long career. Yeah. And well-established career when henry carr died in 1929 she was the acting head librarian up until the board was able to hire a replacement for him wow she retired in 1942 and then passed away in june of
1: 1947. oh my gosh well she lived a long good
0: life she did and had a very long career in the library yeah on the staff were also myra millet Jesse Kiefer, Anna Edwards, Bess Hardenberg, Lulu James, and Josephine Hawley. There are two known photographs of this core group, with the exception of Henry Carr. I don't know why he wasn't included in the photographs, but... Girls' Night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it had to be. In the one photo, they are standing in the reference department, back when it still had the open area in the center. And the photograph seems to be taken from the right side of the room, facing left. So you can see the bookshelves, and they're all lined up against the railing, smiling. It's interesting to see their fashion. Two of them are in dark colored dresses. Most are wearing white tops with poofy sleeves and black skirts. It is interesting to note that Jesse Kiefer's skirts have a floral pattern on them, and they look really nice. I love the puff sleeves they're very fun they're even wearing bow ties yep some are wearing bow ties um i love it i believe this is myra millet who has the tie oh all the way on the left yes oh look at that uh the second photograph is them sitting at a desk in the reference department with like books and pens and then you can actually see the door that goes up to our third floor storage area with local history collection you Mm -hmm. can see that in the background of the photo oh that is amazing and then the banister that went around the open area in the center of the reference department that can now be seen on hanging on the wall Mm -hmm. um you can see that as it was originally installed on there too
1: oh okay so question yes Two, two questions actually so i didn't know that what What's hanging on the wall used to be original to the railing?
0: Yes. It was wow. the design within the banister. That is really cool. I yes. didn't know that. That's where they came from. <laughs> That's really, because I truly
1: didn't know that, and, mm-hmm. I it- <laughs> and I work here, guys. Okay, and then second question, is that, that other second photo, uh, Where well, actually, where are these photos located that
0: people could see them? Um, we have them back in the local history vertical files. We have copies of them. They're also reproduced on the Lackawanna Valley Digital Archives. I will also put them both on the social media when I put up the promotion for this episode. Okay, cool. Okay, so now that we have all the early library workers, we're going to focus on the development of the first branch library, which was the Nancy K. Holmes Branch Library. Originally, it was just called the Greenridge Library. What do you know about the establishment of Greenridge?
1: Okay, well... uh Recently, I have heard that
0: it started as a private library. Is that true? Yes. Oh. The library started as a book club that was started by the residents of that section of Greenridge. Oh, that's cool. Um, Greenridge is a neighborhood in Scranton. It was a subscription service oh. where they had about 50 or so members that paid a small fee to help fund the purchase of books and magazines that they would all be able to hand out and circulate between themselves Mm, okay by june of 1889 the group had formed into the greenridge library association and obtained a charter for the construction of a building which is the same building that is there today
1: oh wow so that building really is old
0: yes it's very old
1: (laughs) well i mean at least at least as old as the albury yes and not too many people know that
0: no it's even slightly older yeah oh my gosh Mm -hmm. okay then in the 1890s, the association began funding to pay for the library building to purchase more books to be used by the community as a whole. It was established in 1894 as a free library. Mm-hmm. And it also included a storage area for other local institutions, such as the Lackawanna Institute of History and Science. Oh, So they had fossils and... <gasps> cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I kind
1: of wish it was still there.
0: It is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> the main issue that the Greeners Library Association had were finances. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a ton of funding and they would often have guest speakers, fairs, Shakespearean nights, and other entertainment to help generate revenue for, to keep their doors open. And have everyone be able to use their books.
1: Shakespearean Nights, now that sounds fun.
0: Yes, they would bring in a Shakespeare reenactor that would read the plays out and.
1: <gasps> okay, well, guess what, guys? This is going on our list to bring back. <laughs> I want this. <laughs> yeah.
0: A notable event during this time included a lecture by Ezra Ripple, who was the mayor of Scranton between 1886 and 1890. Oh. He spoke on his experiences at Andersonville Prison. Do you know anything about Andersonville Prison? No, but what did he do at Andersonville Prison? During the Civil War, Ezra Ripple fought for the Union Army. And Andersonville was a Confederate Army prisoner of war camp that was located in Georgia. The first prisoners were moved there in February of 1864. And by June, the population had risen to 26,000 prisoners. Whoa. Yeah, it wasn't good that it wasn't designed to hold that many at all. Oh my gosh. So the structure of the camp, it had walls around the outside and a river that flowed through it. This led to a high mortality rate and mass suffering because there wasn't enough food, clothing, shelter, water, and it, the prisoners themselves would fight over access to the water, which was often putrid because all of the waste and runoff would just go right into it. But it was one of their only sources.
1: Oh, it was not wow. a good time So he So he survived this? Yes. And then he came to the library to talk
0: about it? Yes. Oh my gosh yes he survived this became mayor of scranton and then talked about it do you want to guess how he escaped it's kind of an out there
1: oh boy i'm not too creative i mean i should be but um, i'm just gonna say he made a distraction so that he could leave in a
0: way (laughs) (laughs) so he was a violinist so he could play the violin. <gasps> okay, well, he just went up a couple notches in my book. <laughs> so he was actually allowed to go outside of Andersonville Prison to provide entertainment for uh-huh. troops in the Confederate Army. And when he was outside, he just left one day. And that's how he escaped from Andersonville Prison.
1: So the lesson here, folks, is play the violin
0: or not to play. <laughs> and it might help you <laughs> in might the long help. run. <laughs>
1: that's really cool, though. Yeah.
0: So that definitely had to draw a lot of people. And what Mm -hmm. they would do is, for any event, they would set up a donation box in the front of the building where people could drop in coins or bills, whatever they wanted, to donate to help support the programs. By 1898, the library attracted the attention of Henry Carr and the Albright Memorial Library. Emma Thompson, who I had discussed earlier in this episode, mm-hmm. when I talked about the first library staff, became involved heavily in the Green Ridge Library when it became a delivery station for the public library where books can be obtained in the same manner as Albright. So it wasn't a branch library yet, but it did have some of the same features that we recognize today. So you could take out books there, return them, but it wasn't technically part of the Scranton Public Library as of yet. Yet. So, despite all of these efforts to keep the library funded and going, it fell into a financial crisis again. E.B. Sturges, who was the sole funder of the library for the year of 1899, decided not to continue putting all of his finances to the library because he was the only person that was keeping it afloat at this point and the only person putting money towards it okay in the summer of 1900 and 1901 the library would shut its doors from may 1st and reopen on november 1st within that time frame they would often have a spree of fundraising events such as ice cream socials to try and gain funds to reopen the building it was very unsteady, and the location eventually began being used as an overflow for number 28 school instead of as a library. Oh so no. it got in- taken over by the school system. Yeah. And then in 1912, the Greener's Library Association began talks to sell the library and its grounds to the city under the condition that it would remain a library. The goal and their main aim was that it would become a part of the Scranton Public Library, which happened. On October 20th of 1914, the Greenridge Library was finally incorporated as a branch library of the Scranton Public Library and has remained so ever since.
1: That's really cool. So October 20th. Yep. We're having a birthday party, guys. <laughs> we An- <should>. Anniversary party. <laughs>
0: And the last thing I want to discuss was how its name got changed to the Nancy K. Holmes branch. Mm -hmm. So do you know detail about this? I don't know a lot of
1: details. Okay. I know that Nancy K. Holmes was a resident of that area, um, and she did a lot of work for the community, Mm -hmm. uh, beloved um, by everyone who knew her. Uh, obviously left a a huge lasting legacy behind, but I don't know specifics about her.
0: So Nancy Hay Holmes was a teacher at Scranton High School and co-founded the Greenridge Neighborhood Association. Mm. She also was a member of city council for a time. Okay. Because she was an avid reader, after her death, her family wanted to honor her, so they contacted the library board, and it was approved... And officially renamed Nancy K. Holmes Library Mm -hmm. on July 30th of 2010. Okay. Why
1: did they choose the library to memorialize her? Do you know?
0: I think just because she was very into reading and education. Okay. And it was a good community center. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. So, we have reached the end of our discussion on the first library staff and how the Nancy K. Holmes Branch Library was established. Next week, we'll be covering the establishment of the Lackawanna County Children's Library, which is next door to the Albert Morrell Library, and the establishment of Library Express Bookstore, which is located in the Marketplace at Steamtown. Very cool stuff. Yes. Well, thank you for being on again. Thank you for
1: having me. This was cool. I I have to say, uh, every time I come on here, I learn a lot more than I knew before. I try my best. No, you really do. You do a lot
0: of good work, and it's a lot of research. So thank you. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or anything at all, please email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org or call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you.